Isaiah today. We're taking a break again from Luke. Uh, we'll get back into Luke in January, but today we're looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, kind of a classic Advent text. And here's what Isaiah prophesies. He says, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we celebrate on this day the ways in which we see you at work. Lord, sometimes it is easy for us to see you at work and other times, God, it is more difficult for us to feel, to recognize your presence. So we pray, Lord, that as we stand in this in-between, that we would grow in our ability to recognize you and to live into that which will one day fully be experienced in the new heaven and new earth. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by just kind of unpacking uh, uh, briefly this, this pretty familiar passage uh, for most of us, I would imagine. It starts with this uh, very uh, kind of famous image, of course, of a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. Uh, this stump is uh, oftentimes understood to be kind of the line of David. We talked about David a while back and, and kind of this line of kings and things were so good for a while but then clearly they're not going to be good uh, forever. And Isaiah, you know, whether or not this is before or after this has happened, there's some arguments about that. But, but what you should realize is that the stump just recognizes in many ways or, or represents a sense of, of death and destruction and hopelessness. It's coming about the time that the Assyrians are going to come through Judah and Jerusalem. And, and they go through that area five different times. And every time they do, they just begin to destroy it again and again and again and again and again. There's this great sense of brokenness and sin and death and destruction all in this stump. But then, of course, out of that stump, Isaiah says, there is this shoot. And you can kind of begin to see this kind of green, small, somewhat fragile, perhaps, sense of growth coming out of this place of incredible dark 
death. And for Christians, a, a part of the reason why we love reading Isaiah and Advent is because this represents for us Jesus, the one who's coming out of the, out of the line of Jesse, if you will, this sign of, of hope even in the midst of darkness and despair. And this child, we are told, this newborn babe is going to come and it will come with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, and the fear of the Lord. Now I want to just talk about the fear of the Lord for a moment. It's something that most of us have heard. It's, it's a little hard exactly to define. It's a, it's a little nebulous, a little mysterious. But I love what Eugene Peterson says about fear of the Lord, which is that one of the things that you have to recognize is that you cannot understand what fear of the Lord is by just kind of taking those words apart and defining them in and of themselves. In other words, you can't just kind of define what fear is and then you define what Lord is and then you just kind of put them together. He says that really we should understand fear of the Lord should really just be a whole different word. We should probably just read it quickly or say it fast, right? Fear of the Lord. So it doesn't even sound like anything. It's just fear of the Lord, right? And, and what it means, he says, yes, it means reverence. But it also means the ability to experience and see the presence of God. It means the ability to be able uh, to understand that God is God and that we are not. The ability to see that we are a part of God's story. We don't try to shoehorn God into our story. It, that's what fear of the Lord is. And what I really wanted to point out today, because I thought it was very apropos to what we've been talking about over the last few months, is what Peterson says, this is how we cultivate fear of the Lord. He says, this is how we cultivate it. He says, we deliberately interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to God. We place ourselves intentionally in sacred space, in sacred time, in the holy presence, and wait. We become silent and still in order to listen and to respond to what is other than us. We've been talking about over these last three months the challenge of spending 10 minutes of being quiet in your own life or, or when you're driving the first time with nobody in your car every day or walking for 30 minutes or so three or four times a week to absolute silence. And I know that for some of you there might be this question of, well, I haven't really gotten much out of it. I, you know, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem very productive. And here's the gift. It's not supposed to be productive. That's actually the point. But we interrupt our lives where we are oftentimes preoccupied with ourselves and what we are doing simply then to be in the presence of God. It even, even just the act of stopping what you were doing is saying that there is something that is bigger and more important than anything you can do during that particular time. And when we do this, we are cultivating fear of the Lord. This is exactly what we begin to see Happening. And this is what we see Jesus doing. Remember, we did talk about Luke. And what do we say about Jesus in Luke? At least close to 10 times, Luke tells us he goes off on his own. He goes off on his own into a quiet in order to experience the presence of his father. This is the shoot that's coming out of the stump. And then as we kind of continue to go on, it says that he is the one who will judge for the poor and care for the oppressed. 
And again, I love the fact that we've been going through Luke. And remember when we talked about he went into the synagogue there in Nazareth. And, and, and then he, he, he read the scripture from Isaiah. It was a different one, but it talked about the same thing, about caring for the oppressed. And then he sat down and he said, today this, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so we're seeing how Isaiah is playing into, or how Isaiah is playing into Luke, into who Jesus is going to be. And then he goes on, he says, oh yeah, not only this, but righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Now, honestly, this should be a little bit awkward, right? But the English, because they use the word, I'm not going to keep going on this, because they use the word loins, most of us don't use that. But the reality, of course, is this is a little bit awkward, right? And as commentators said, you know what, this shouldn't be so palatable, right? This, this is describing uh, the sprouts undergarments, You just want me to keep going? <laughs> but this is really important, right? Because it's saying that this is that righteousness and that faithfulness, right? This is the fruit of a loom of faithfulness. And this image should actually kind of strike us and be kind of odd. I, I want you to know this because Isaiah does it so that you will remember it. And what's he saying? He's saying that this is very intimate to who this Messiah is, who we would call Jesus to be. And you cannot detach the two, that this is faithfulness, that God will always be faithful because it is simply who he is. You cannot detach faithfulness from God so that no matter what it is that we might be doing, no matter how faithless at times we may be, that God will always be faithful. Remember the faithfulness of the fruit of the looms of Christ. And this is who he is. And then as he continues, of course, he goes in this very famous kind of image, right? The lion laying down with the lamb. Right? We have wild animals that are just eating straw. They're not eating each other, in other words. We have this young child who can put his hand over the, over the snake's den and nothing happens. They are not harmed in the least. There's this image of all the vulnerable who are cared for and loved. And then, of course, it goes on to say that the world will be full of the knowledge of God, just like the seas, just like the seas cover, or the waters cover the sea. This knowledge of God, I just want to say this, it's not just information. We tend in the West to just think that knowledge is information. In the Hebrew, it means much more than that. It's about intimate relationship. It's about knowing each other like you might know a spouse or a child or a dear friend or a parent. It is this kind of knowledge that we're talking about. Not just knowing facts about God, but being in relationship. Now, whenever I read this text, I always want to try to come up with something new or fresh to talk about. And yet I have to be honest with you, and you know this now. I think I've preached on this a couple times, and if you've been around... I almost always just want to go back and talk about the stump. The stump to me is this remarkable image that is very hard for me to divert my eyes away from. 
A part of it is simply because of the fact that almost all of us have these moments of, or these times of stumps in our lives. Uh, these kind of, these, these significant kinds of things, whether it's death or whether it's brokenness or whether it's sin or, or whether it's despair or whether it's depression. It can be any of these things, but almost all of us have these stumps. And I love the image that Isaiah gives to us of this just sense of this thing that is just there and that it's just really hard for us to get around or not see. And a part of the reason why I really like talking about it during Advent is because this is a season when many of us, at least, are going to be even more keenly aware of stumps. It's both a weird season where we're keenly aware of it and where most of us will do everything we can to not think about it. But is there any more season when we begin to think about these things or when these things come to our minds? I was thinking about this this Thanksgiving. Uh, we were uh, driving out um, uh, to Kansas City with a, uh, we were going to have a celebrate with our extended family. My mom was there in Kansas City, so my family went out. And even just on the drive out, I was reminded, of course, immediately of a cousin of mine, my cousin I've shared about who lived in Westfield, uh, uh, who, who passed away just last Christmas, and the fact that he would not be there with his family. He was only 50. But we got there, and it was very festive. There was 40 of us. They rented out this barn. It was fantastic. But as we sat there around the chairs, there was also very clear that there were people who were not there. My cousin's wife, who at the age of 53, back in the spring, uh, spring passed away from cancer. Another uh, wife of a cousin of mine who wasn't there because her father recently passed away, and it was just simply too hard to be there with the larger family. But even just not in the last year, I mean, we had a cousin who used to be there. His name was Merlin, and he was not a tree. He was a massive oak. And those branches were huge. I mean, he was so full of life. Most of you have someone like that. We went to the Golden Great Bridge one time, and he had on boots, slick boots, and he jumped up on the bridge and just kind of hanging over, just looking out. He had this zest for life. He was stupid in some ways, too. Do not do that. My cousin and I, we were holding each other weeping. We thought we'd lost them. But you have someone like that so full of life. And we continue to miss him. Everything has changed without him being there. And so we have these as we kind of go about our lives. And as we go through this particular season, we are reminded. We are reminded of these stumps in our lives. We are reminded of what is missing, of what is not supposed to be there. The problem with stumps, of course, is that they're always getting in our way. If you go out and try to walk, oftentimes you may trip over a stump. And I've shared before how difficult, and you know this, how difficult they are to remove. I mean, they tend to always be there. And again, I, I noticed it even decades later as we left Kansas City and we were driving back with my mom. We were about an hour into it driving on I-70 and we passed the very exit where if I went south about 10 minutes, there was my father's house where he was. And I said to the girls, Guys, this is the way to go to grandpa's house. And when I said that and my mom is right there, all I'm thinking of is this is not the way it should be. Right? We should be having Thanksgiving together. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And if you have found yourself 
during this season already, or if you find yourself in the days ahead and you're looking at these stumps that are keenly aware and you decide that you're not just going to kind of, you know, try to distract them by food or drink or gifts or parties and you're going to actually look at it, you will very likely come to a point where you just scream out, this isn't the way it's supposed to be and you are absolutely right. And in those moments, here's what I want you to know, whether you want it to be the case or not, you are tapping into the spirit of Advent. The spirit of Advent, because the season of Advent, a significant part of it is this. This is not the way things are supposed to be. I know when we think about the spirit of Christmas, we think mostly about joy and excitement and fun. And please hear me, that is certainly a part of it. But we as Christians, we don't just think about the spirit of Christmas. We think about the spirit of Advent. We are a different kind of people. And a part of that is to be able to look at those stumps and not do what everyone else does. And not just say, oh, well, let's just forget it right now. No, we can be a people who can be honest about the destruction, about some of the wickedness or the struggle or the sin or the brokenness or the sadness and we can acknowledge that even or perhaps especially in the season because we know that we are not yet there this is the season of advent where we talk oftentimes about the now but the not yet which means God's kingdom is here but it's also not quite here and in those moments when you say this isn't how it's supposed to be it is to that future to which you are pointing Which is why, of course, Isaiah doesn't stop there with the stump or even the shoot, but he begins to describe what will one day be. And do you notice how vividly he describes it? He doesn't just kind of say, well, you know what? One day things will be nice. One day people will be at peace. One day you're going to be happy. No, he seems to understand that when you are in a wasteland of stumps, when there are stumps that surround you, what you need is a vivid image, a vivid picture. And so that's exactly what Isaiah gives to us. He paints this remarkable picture. The lion will lie down with the lamb. The bear will eat with the cow. The child will play over the snake's den. If we want to be honest about a stump, which we are called to be, As a people of Advent, we also are honest about the fact that we believe that things will change. And if you want to live into that, we have to immerse ourselves into this because it's not always easy. It can be a struggle to believe that things will one day be whole. And so Isaiah paints this dramatic picture for us to understand that. And I think that subconsciously all of us actually get this in all the world. This is a part of why the Christmas season, I'm convinced, is the most multi-sensory season of the whole year. Right? Think about this. When you think about the Christmas season, what do you see? You see Christmas lights. And oftentimes they're not just kind of there. They don't just blend in. You don't want them to blend in. They're, they're bright and they're sparkly and they go on and off so that we see Christmas lights. What about the smells? When you think about Christmas, what are those smells that may come to your mind? Right? Perhaps it's the smell of peppermint. Or yesterday we had that smell of a freshly cut Christmas tree. Cut one down from our neighbors. It was great. (laughs) I'm kidding. Scratch this off of that. The touch from opening up 
Christmas presents, most of us know that, test, that touch the sound of jingle bells, the sound of carols, the taste of gingerbread or eggnog. It is a multi-sensory. Why is this? Because we yearn for something more. And we know that sometimes in the midst of everything else, it can be hard to imagine that. And so we have this multi-sensory experience. Now for many, of course, it's simply taking them back. Maybe they want to go back to what it was like or what they imagined it was like when they were a kid. For others, they just want to go to some fantasy world, just something better than what they have. But as an Advent people, we want to imagine not just all of those things, we want to imagine what it is when God finally returns, when Christ returns, and we are living in the not yet that is finally here. And so Isaiah, did you notice this? I mean, he uses these things that are so descriptive that they are multi-sensory. We can see the wolf lying down with the lamb. We can smell the straw that the lion is eating. We can hear the child playing over the snake's den. We can touch the waters that cover the sea like the knowledge of those who will know God. You see, in this season, we immerse ourselves into this other story. And that is a part of our call all year, but especially in Advent. Now, this is about to get a little bit weird for some of you. But I'm actually want to encourage us you know we've talked about the fact that we want to do what we do here and sunday morning we want to be able to do when we go out into the world and so i actually want us to kind of focus for just a couple of minutes on our sight and on hearing when it comes to what does it look like for us to immerse ourselves you know we we, we presbyterians aren't big into uh, uh, um you know lots of kind of sensory things we don't do smells and bells and you know we're probably not going to start anytime too soon but but, but I do want us to at least just take a couple minutes. And so I want us to do a couple things. One is I want, I want us to look at this uh, particular painting here. This is a painting. Uh, actually, don't look at it yet because if you do, something else will happen. Thank you. Uh, all right. It's a painting by Edward Hicks. It's one of the more famous paintings. In fact, Edward Hicks actually painted uh, at least 62 of these. He was a painter and a Quaker minister. You've probably seen this before. He lived around the 18th century. And then, of course, there's a song. We're not going to play the words, but it's just one of the most famous Advent songs. What's a famous Advent song? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so I want us just to kind of look at this. I'll talk about it in a moment. I just want us to look at it. It may not be your favorite kind of painting. It's not really mine. But I want us just to look at it anyways and just to listen and just to immerse yourself in God's coming kingdom.
One of the things you may notice is up on the left, and you don't have to show it again, but is a painting of William uh, Penn uh, signing a treaty with Native Americans as a way of kind of the, the enacting of this peaceable kingdom. And one of the things, of course, that I want to encourage us to do is if you're continuing to spend those 10 minutes, or if you're on the car, in the car and you just want to listen to, to a song like this, or if you have, there's a particular smell that for you is the smell of peace and of what this kingdom would look like for you, or a taste, whatever it may be, to simply create space during this Advent season, especially this week, of just saying, what does that look like? How do I immerse myself? into something like this. Now, let's be honest, it's not always easy. It wasn't easy for Edward Hicks. In fact, a lot of the stumps that he would end up painting for him, they signified uh, his denomination went through a split right in the middle of all of his paintings. And so he, he kind of signified that with that. It's not always easy. And you can kind of see even on this next painting, uh, one commentator talked about if you can see the, the lion and the tiger or the lions, the, the lion there that, you know, their eyes are big and wide. And like there's a sense of they're surprised that this might actually work. Or even in this next one, you can see this side where, where, it, where um, one scholar says it looks like, it looks like the one who was, who was uh, leading them uh, actually has this particular animal uh, in a headlock to make sure that it won't go out. And in some of the other ones, they're, they're bearing more and more teeth the older he gets because it got harder. He admitted it got harder for him to actually be, really be able to believe this at times. And so it takes work for us to be able to say in the midst of these stumps, we want to be able to think about the not yet and to reflect on the not yet. But Advent season is not just about the not yet. It is also about the now. Which is why I think it's important for us to see the ways in which God's coming kingdom can be revealed even today. And this is a part of the genius, it seems to me, of Isaiah. You see, what Isaiah knows is that the way to kind of the not yet is not just to kind of rip away all of those stumps in our lives and just wait until they're all gone. And, and then we can begin to see the presence of God right now. No, no, no. He says that right there in the middle of those stumps, that's where the shoot comes up. Right in the middle of darkness and despair and death and destruction and depression. Right there is where you begin to see the sprout coming up. And I love that because this is the way Jesus works. If you look uh, or, or at all of the scripture, if you look at scripture again and again, there are stories about this. You have uh, the barrenness of Sarah, the barrenness of Elizabeth. And then out of that barrenness, all of a sudden, you have birthed Isaac and John the Baptist. Or you begin to think about the reality that Solomon, King Solomon, this great king, was birthed out of this kind of murderous affair that David had. Life out of destruction. And of course you have what Isaiah is talking about here even more explicitly. You have Jesus who is being born out of this stump. Or think about the church. The church's birth out of people who would much prefer to have denied Jesus than had to even go before any kind of, of death uh, a trial, all of these things. Again and again, when you read scripture, this is what you see. You see new life and new birth coming, not beyond the stump, not around the stump, but right in the very middle of that thing which signifies death and darkness and despair. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of one of my favorite authors. You know, when people ask me, hey, what, what books have most impacted your life? Well, usually they ask me as a pastor, so of course at first I say, 
the Bible, right? Because I have before just kind of thought, well, they just assumed that, and then I went to something else, and then they're like, oh, not the Bible, huh? No, it's just understood, the Bible. But almost always I will then talk about the book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. And this book, if you haven't read it, you should read it. At least it was really significant for me. I read it when I was about 23 or 24 years old. I can still remember like laying down in bed in Wheaton, Illinois, where I was living at the time, and reading this book, and it completely changed me. I mean, it was just this book. I don't know how to describe it other than it just it painted this picture of grace like I had never heard it before. And I was there. I wanted to get all my work done. I wanted to be a good student. I wanted to get pats on the back. I was constantly kind of working for God, it felt like. And, and then when I didn't do well, I felt in a pit of despair. And, and, and this was a book that just freed me, that made me feel the love of God like I'd never felt before. It changed me. It changed my faith. It changed my, even my vocation. Eventually when I became a pastor, it was one of the things I wanted to do, was I wanted to be able to tell people about grace, just like Philip Yancey had told me and so many other others about grace. Well, then this past summer, I sat down with a book that he recently wrote, uh, which is his memoir. Now, he would kind of share a little bit about what was going on in his other books, but this really dove deeply into his life. And it's a life where when he was a baby, his father passed away. Uh, it's a life where his mother, you could easily describe as raising as one where he was emotionally abused. Um, the church was always making him feel like he was never enough. Uh, his brother dealt with this by going into drugs and having relationship after relationship, just really being a broken man. It was incredibly haunting. It was a very kind of despairing book in many ways. But then towards the end of that book, towards the end of his memoir, he writes this. He says, if, wait, we live day by day, scene by scene, as if working on a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle with no picture on the box to guide us. Only over time does a meaningful pattern emerge. In this memoir, I have written a sort of prequel to my other books. In retrospect, it seems clear to me that my two life themes, which surface in all my books, are suffering and grace. One could say, stumps and shoots. The New Testament presents suffering as a bad thing. Jesus, after all, devoted himself to acts of healing, yet one that can be redeemed. We have hope that on this broken planet, pain can be somewhat useful, even redemptive. And when I read that and read how he said this is kind of a prequel to the other books, here's what I realized. Is that because Philip Yancey began to look closer at the stump of his life, this kind of wasteland of stumps, it was only because he was able to honestly look at those things that he was then able to deliver a book like What's So Amazing About Grace. It's only because of the fact that he kind of wrestled with all of this darkness, with this death and depression and brokenness of his family and all of those things that then could come up, could come up like a shoot, this book, What's So Amazing About Grace, that he began to see how God could even use all of that. And when he did that, all of a sudden then it began to speak to me and to my life and to those darker parts of my life where I then began to see God. This is the beautiful thing. When those shoots, when we allow others to see those stumps and we begin to work with them and find ways that God can use even the darkest of places. 
that God can bring life out of that, others of us then can begin to see that. And those shoots begin to weave together. This again goes back to this tapestry, right? That our shoots begin to weave together. And as they do so, then God uses that. I don't, when it comes to the kingdom of God, I don't think it's a tapestry that has no stumps in it. But I do think it's one that is full of these green shoots that come out where one another are able to grow because of the community that says, we know that you aren't perfect. We know that there is struggle. We know that there is death and despair. But we also know that as long as Jesus is alive, that there is always hope. This is what it looks like to be in the now, but the not yet. And in those moments... Whenever it is that I am able, because of a divorced parents or because of a miscarriage that we, that we uh, experienced or any of those other kinds of moments of brokenness or pain, whenever we can be honest about that and know that there's still hope, then we are allowing others to see that in our lives and we will begin to see how there is hope for them as well this is the time when the not yet starts to become the now and yet we still wait we wait because we know that we are not yet there we wait with hope but we know that we still have a long way to go. And so we immerse ourselves into the story. We immerse ourselves into the peaceable kingdom with all of our faculties. Because it reminds us that we are a part of a much larger story. And the more that we can grow in that, the more that we can begin to see these shoots weaving together. The more that we will be able to see that the not yet one day will finally arrive and the lion will lie down with the lamb and the cow and the bear will graze together and when the child will be able to put his hand over the snake's den and there will be no harm we wait sisters and brothers come lord jesus come amen